This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center cave here inside the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law, with 50 years of experience, is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. Mellon Law won't back down. Of course, the uh, command center is prevented and protected uh, by crime prevention. You worry less with crime prevention security systems. You contact them at cpss.net. And of course, Maurice T. McDaniel sponsors our mugshots for you to check up on what may be happening in a criminal activity with people you might know. And we appreciate all those people and all our sponsors and all of our donations. So we need all of them. We are really trying to conduct, uh, I would say, the Lord's work here, really, in, in finding the things for you that you might not find or learn about some other way. And today, we're privileged to have, uh, of course, we don't show him, but we hear him, our data investigator, instigator, Supreme, who is responsible behind the scenes for more things than you'll ever dream of. And it probably we'll never really all total talk about. But uh, we've got uh, our great friend here today. And if you want to ask any kind of questions or anything, of course, I've got the chat book uh, uh, chat going on here. It is a phone in line in Friday. Uh, uh, I don't know if we can run two phone lines or once. I'll look at production and see if we can. We can. But uh, he'll check on that. Anyway, right now we're speaking over the phone with uh, Mark Glazer. So uh, anything you want to talk about, give me a chat right now. But later on, we may be able to open up a phone line, have a four-way conversation, but we'll see how that goes. Um, there's been a lot going on, you know, and uh, we've been um, bringing it out to you piecemeal as we get it. Today, we're going to try to summarize it all for you, collect it up in, uh, in categories, if you will, of things that we've been looking into. Of course, when I say we, I always say Mark. But um, Mark, good morning, sir, and uh, great to hear from you, man. Good morning, Ward, and thank you for that introduction. Uh, obviously, this week uh, we had the bombshell um, hit with the indictment uh, of the former Tallahassee mayor and gubernatorial candidate, former Gainesville High School graduate. And uh, so we're going to get into that quite a bit today. Um, we also have a few other housekeeping items. If you want to clean up some of that, we could do that as well. So I'll let you, let you lead the way. Um, you know, we've got some updates on the uh, Collier's Boss Heart um, lawsuits, and we also have some uh, updates on the inmate voting uh, scandal at our Latcher County Jail that occurred in 2020 as well. Well, that's a very good summation in case that makes your head spin, you guys. Uh, that's quite a sweeping uh, uh, field of interest that we have been looking at here, starting really with uh, some work we did with uh, in looking into Andrew Gillum, before he ever ran for the governor. And that has sort of come to fruition. We'll talk about that. Of course, um, you know that uh, we've been watching Corrine Brown for you. I think we've got a little paradox about Corrine Brown that we'll share with you. We don't know if anything will become of this because, you know, the, the officials keep wanting to let anybody who can breathe on a mirror vote. And then if they can't vote, blame them for not being able to vote and, and wash their hands of any responsibility. We've covered that story. So uh, I suppose, and also the Boss Heart uh, Drotos uh, fiasco, I think really is going to end up to be a huge fiasco, but an expensive one. So maybe we should start with the most recent, since uh, students tend to remember, have a very short memory span, uh, Mark. Uh, maybe they do recall seeing, but they don't know where, what it's all about. Something that just came out about Andrew Gillum. And um, so let's, if you will, sir, let's start there and work back to where we first became interested in Andrew Gillum. Absolutely. Um, you know, the real question in my mind is uh, 
with this indictment that came down, this 21 count indictment, uh, the last uh, transaction that was count, uh, one of the counts was uh, actually occurred in uh, December of 2019. So the question becomes, what took so long for this indictment to come down? All of 2020, all of 2021, half of 2022, why now? And I believe the answer is, as we've discussed over the years, there's the magic ingredient of time. Time has a way of ha having these issues come to the surface. And as you and I both know, the federal uh, government has a 98 plus percent conviction rate. And the reason their rate's so high is that when they drop that net, they're very, very sure of what they're doing. And so they leave no T uncrossed and no I undotted when they file these indictments. So that if and when they have to go through the, the criminal process to a court of law, they will prevail. And so it's uh, it's been a long time coming. We've been following this for quite some time. We have actually uh, presented some of the dots that have been connected in this indictment over the years and uh it's finally come to fruition as you said with the 21 count indictment against andrew gillum and his business partner sharon letman hicks who have a quote-unquote communications company a company without a web presence so it's very um interesting that they are able to run a business that uh, is in the business of communication with without anything on the internet and so what we um, described years ago as a a uh a funnel for um funds to come through a, a scheme, if you will. We presented that evidence to the very highest authorities. And what it did was it um, backed up and verified what they already knew that uh, individual A, uh, Andrew Gillum's best friend, and individual B, his business partner, were involved in this scheme dating back all the way to early 2016 uh, for the kickoff of his political action committee for his run for governor. And from the very beginning, that uh, event was funded with over $4,000 of money from an undercover FBI agent that was never listed on a campaign report. From there, it just got worse. And as time uh, scrolled on, um, it became apparent they were using that communications company to funnel money from campaign contributions straight into Andrew Gillum's bank account. And those are the lion's share of the uh, counts of the criminal complaint. Well, isn't that something? We've seen this happen before with Corrine Brown, where it appears anyway that um, the trusting souls who gave her money for a purpose that ended up not being the real use of the money went off into the private lifestyle. And here, uh, let's just reiterate that one more time, because I've, been, I've learned that students need to hear things three times before they can even begin to retain it. Uh, let's talk about 2016 and what began to bother us about Gillum? Well, initially, my my interest got peaked in 2017 when he actually announced his run for governor. And I did some records requests for travel and things of that nature and discovered uh, some of these trips, uh, both to Costa Rica and also to New York City. And of course, his best friend at the time, uh, Adam Corey, um, openly gay, um, on a boat ride, arm in arm, um, from the New York City trip uh, that that made all the all the national media, and Adam Corey actually threw uh, Gillum under the bus right before the election in 2018, and um, probably October, and I believe that was what tipped the scales in favor of uh, Governor DeSantis. I think without that cloud, without that information, that Andrew Gillum would be governor right now. So it's um, it was very concerning. Uh, we followed it through the years. We knew that Andrew Gillum was Christopher Chestnut's um, very good friend and that Cynthia Chestnut was Andrew Gillum's mentor back when he was living here in Gainesville, Florida, actually a graduate of Gainesville High School. And so we started looking into the financial transactions. Of course, we don't have the subpoena power to get into bank uh, statements, but what we do have is financial disclosures on an annual basis from these candidates. And we discovered that Andrew Gillum was getting paid over $100,000 a year from this so-called PNP communications company 
for, for what looked like doing no work. What that becomes is what is classified as a no-show job. And typically, no-show jobs are hand-in-hand are -hand with uh, political corruption. So we were able to get the interest level up from that point forward. And we got the interest of the right folks um, who will go unnamed at this point. But we shared that information with anyone that was willing to listen. And I can tell you that uh, government officials at the highest level, it's their job to listen. And they listen to us. And that really kicked the ball off because we had several uh, things that bothered us. We knew we had intel from Tallahassee that um, there was a kind of lifestyle to Andrew Gillum that, um, you know, really wasn't uh, what it appeared to be. He lists himself as a husband with children, but we knew that there was another, not that there's anything necessarily, uh, you know, unacceptable about that by today's standards, but... Um, the duality suggested some sort of uh, um, need to not disclose certain aspects of one's life. And, and, and that led to an interest in whatever, what else was not being disclosed. If we have an alternative lifestyle, uh, like Gillum obviously later uh, was certified with his behavior in the motel in South Florida after the election, but known about before the election, and uh, looked into before the election, um, then if that is uh, a lifestyle that's not fully disclosed, is there anything else that's not being fully disclosed? Because one um, concealment action generally indicates a kind of uh, type of behavior, if you will, a category of behavior. So that, that led to the investigation, you know, where's money coming from? Uh, how's it being uh, delivered and to whom is it being delivered? Have I got that pretty much right, Mark? Absolutely. And let's not forget that for, in order for Andrew Gillum to win the uh, primary election uh, against Gwen Graham and uh, the guy Levin from South Florida and also uh, Jeff Green, the billionaire, and Chris King, who became his running mate, he was using funds from uh, George Soros not only openly, but also through a dark money back door going to the collective. The collective turned around and they they funded all the campaign attack ads against Gwen Graham, which gave uh, Gillum the inside lane to take the primary by, uh, by a whisker. And so he um, passed her on the last lap on the inside lane, became the Democrat candidate. From there, the money poured in. And as you know, the election was decided by less than four tenths of one percent around 32,000 votes. And so we came very, very close to having uh, Governor Andrew Gillum. The question in a lot of people's minds is if he was governor, would he be charged now? And of course, we'll never know the answer to that. Um, so let's just not forget that George Soros funded Andrew Gillum's campaign um, back in 2018. Uh, otherwise, he would have never been the Democratic nominee in the first place. And we know that George Soros is funding a lot of things. We've reported that he is busy uh, financing the purchase of Hispanic radio stations in South Florida because the left realizes the power of the human voice over a, over a microphone to reach people is something that they want to control down to the podcast level, to the radio level, to the news media level, uh, both written and uh, visual. So... Um, we are working our best we can do here at the Word Scott Files to present uh, an alternative to that. And to I have to say that the percentage of success we have is pretty darn high. And given the, the sources that we have to work with, and I want to come out right now and thank the donors who I don't want to talk about them publicly on the show, but who behind the scenes really help us. Uh, there's a lot of things we run into. We run into um, the, the laborious effort to get the records sometimes is firewalled by the record keepers, by fees. And sometimes we, we are now using, going to get ready to use a, a bigger program that will look more quickly at things we suspect could be uh, uh, places where things are going on that the public doesn't know about. So uh, we are active as can be, and uh, we appreciate your support as uh, listeners and an audience. Uh, so anything else we need to add to Andrew Gillum? It's, it's embarrassing uh, to those who were following Gillum, if you will, just really kind of describe the way the, the uh, federal government took him in. He took he went in in leg irons, did he not? Yes, he appeared before a judge uh, day before yesterday in shackles, handcuffs and with a chain around his waist. 
when he came out of the courtroom, released on his own recognizance, he was wearing a nice suit and a mask that covered everything up to his eyeballs and did not speak to the reporters who, interestingly enough, did not ask him any questions, which I thought was very interesting, uh, considering typically uh, you would be peppered with questions about, hey, Andrew, you know, you know, what do you say about the charges? Uh, you know, what about Letman Hicks? I mean, there could have been a lot of questions been asked and he probably would not have answered them. But it was it was it was surreal that all those 20 cameras and all those reporters elected not to ask a single question while he got whisked away in an SUV. So uh, once again, he's he's getting that free pass that he's always enjoyed. But when you look behind the curtain, you know, what you find is. Um, you know, not all the, not not all that glitters is gold, and certainly the media elevated him to a level that he did not deserve. And now he's had this terrific um, uh, fall from grace, and uh, it just keeps diving. Um, you know, it, it wasn't enough that he was found in a in a motel room, uh, unconscious, naked in a bathroom with a gay escort who had overdosed. Um, that wasn't enough. Uh, going to rehab, and you know, the question I get a lot is. Um, will he ever run again? Is he electable? And my answer is always the same. He's not, but only for one reason. It was the photograph. Without the photograph, he could have again uh, steered the narrative however he liked and, and made it out to be what it was not. And so this fall from grace is, is one of the biggest in the history of, of uh, certainly the state of Florida. And I would like to um, thank you, Ward, for all your help over the years in trying to expose this early on so that potentially we were able to move the needle so that he was not able to win that election back in 2018. We like to think we moved that needle a little bit and a little bit in this case was a great deal. And by the way, Mark and I've worked together since 2012 and we have um, really got each other's back. It's a, it's a really fascinating relationship we have and uh, total trust on each side. A lot of confidential information goes back and forth between us and uh, just trust each other implicitly. Uh, there's no, it's a very special to have that type of relationship, particularly when you're doing what the Ward Scott Files does. We've been kind of known as um, the place that is looking at things and looking at them pretty deeply and comprehensively. And sometimes these things take a long time. Um, but uh, we've learned our way around, if you will, the courthouse halls, if you, if you, if you will, if you can understand what that expression means. We've learned our way around the databases, uh, how they work, don't work, what they can show you, what they don't show you. It's kind of amazing to us that the people who are supposedly in charge of databases and should use them, don't use them, which I may therefore use as a transition mark into our next discovery, which I wanna give you 110% credit for, and that is discovering that we had people voting from the jail. Um, do you want to walk through that where it started and where we are now? And it's very interesting where we are now. I've been keeping you up to date on it in little pieces and segments, but wow, what a story, isn't it, Mark? Yeah, it's really peaking out uh, right about now. Um, we discovered in late February that about 40 inmates voted uh, by mail from the Alaska County Jail, and I discovered that 18 of them, at least, were ineligible. And what and so, year? What year? Late February? That was late February of 2021, so just mm -hmm. a few months after the election. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, my dad passed away in January, so I was a little, little busy um, in the months right after the election um, taking care of my dad. And uh, so finally, I, I hunkered down and started looking at the data, and it didn't take long to figure out um, what was going on over at the Alaska County Jail. Um, and of course, I immediately called you and we um, went on a mission to get it into the hands of the folks that are tasked with um, uh, investigating and prosecuting these types of cases. And as you know, it got kicked around a little bit uh, between um, Tallahassee and state attorney and then the sheriff and then FDLE. So there was an eight month investigation from early June up until February of this year early June of 2021 until February of uh, 2020. I lost him. Uh, hang on. He's speaking from phone. Can we re-hook that or I need to call him and tell him, hang on friends. I'm going to, I'm going to check and make sure he understands. For fraudulently registering and casting ballots in the Mark, You went down there for a minute. Yeah. Come back on. Can you, let me, let me check with you. Speak, please. I'm here. 
okay, you went down when you started into the take back up where you were with the um, February 2021 and how we started. We kind of lost your, your, your signal there. Okay. So FDLE turned over their investigative summary report to the state attorney with probable cost. And after eight months, after eight months, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. And then 10 uh, cases were uh, initiated, felony cases uh, against former inmates from the Alachua County Jail. Uh, since then, five of them have been transported from state prison to face charges. Uh, two have been arrested, one's bonded out, one remains free with an attorney, and two more are in state prison who will likely be transported in the next month or so. Um, about two weeks ago, uh, one of the uh, defendants uh, in a plea deal received three years and is back in state prison. Uh, did not extend his prison sentence. About a week ago, a second defendant was uh, pled, pled and was found guilty of uh, multiple felonies and received 18 months and is now in back, back in state prison. And that will extend his prison sentence by about eight or 10 months. There are two more uh, inmates who are, were transported from state prison who are now back at the county jail, the scene of the crime, if you will. And they are going to have plea deals on this coming Tuesday, the 28th. Um, so it's very likely that they too will be um, found guilty. So that will be four of the 10 that will be in the books with the six outstanding. So we're looking forward to quite a summer in terms of actual criminal convictions for felony voter bleep from the 2020 <laughs> election. That's taken us, you know, not 18 months, uh, primarily because of the eight month FDLE investigation. Yes, and uh, we're going to, of course, move into the next phase of that in just a second. But what we told you now is a summation of, uh, of a long investigation by FDLE. There was quite a story getting it into the hands of FDLE because we initially went to the state attorney who really didn't want to take it. And correct me if I've got the wrong impression here, Mark, but uh, I think you concur with me on that. It really was uh, not something that was a priority and still isn't. Um, and so we had to push this and check up on it with our contacts and our connections and our confidential people to see where it was. And finally, we got it over to the hands of the FDLE. And I have to say it was mostly from our persistence and um, using our uh, voice, if you will, here from the Words God Files to um, convince people that we weren't going to turn this loose until it was looked into seriously. So. We did get that accomplished, but now we're to a stage where yet there is more uh, uh, resistance going on. Can we go to that part of the story, Mark? Certainly, Ward. This is you know nothing more than the proverbial tip of the iceberg. Uh, we've you know filed complaints in eleven counties uh, uh, against sex offenders and sexual predators who voted in the twenty twenty election, and uh, the different uh, state attorneys have handled them in a kind of a shotgun effect. Uh, most recently, the Lake County um, Supervisor of Elections, uh, working with the Fifth Circuit State Attorney, Assistant State Attorney, um, have declined to prosecute six cases down there. But we've got over 90 other cases, uh, one of which in Duval County is being prosecuted. We have 12 in Leon County, 23 in Gadsden County, which is being handled by Jack Campbell, the uh, State Attorney uh, in that circuit for um, the Tallahassee region. And then we also have some other cases um, here in Alachua County, uh, nine cases which are getting kicked back and forth right now as we speak between the supervisor elections and the state attorney. So we'll be giving you an update on that sometime next week. So these, these cases have uh, prima facie evidence of individuals who voted in the 2020 election who were ineligible. And so it comes down to Florida statutes and whether the state attorneys feel like the threshold's there, but many of these cases are already with FDLE. And on July 1st, FDLE will have up to 10 full-time employees dedicated to uh, rooting out election beat questions throughout our state. And at that point, on July 1st at nine o'clock, I will be picking up the phone and calling FDLE and filing a complaint against 500 uh, sex offenders throughout the state of Florida who voted in the 2020 election. I want to, to realize what you just said. Now, this is where I want to thank uh, particularly one donor who shall remain anonymous, who is helping us uh, acquire a bigger program 
uh, than the one we're working with now that ferreted out these 500. Uh, we suspect there are many, many more than that, but the process that Mark has been using is rather laborious, labor-intensive, and there are systems that can speed that up. So we want to thank the donor. Primarily, we've got one really super donor who helped us get that. So we've got 500, and I say we, all I really am is the platform now to enable you all to hear the work that Mark does, um, which is 24-7, 365. And I can say that he and I contact each other um, pretty much, uh, I wouldn't say around the clock, but throughout the day, uh, looking into things and checking things and, and getting documents for uh, situations. Um, the, it's appalling to us that there is so much voter beep that nobody wants to take into consideration in any serious legal way unless we push it. And we're still having to push it. And you can see that the local state attorney who has formed all these programs to hunt crime doesn't view voter crime the same way we do. We view voter crime as maybe the biggest crime because it's the most subtle crime and it can be the most serious crime. When you consider the small percentage of votes by which uh, Andrew Gillum lost, then you can see why we prioritize uh, voter issues as much, much higher than at least this local state attorney does. So we're talking with the guy, Mark Glazer, who's been with me and I've been with him for a long, long time. We're at the bottom of the hour break. Uh, we'll take that break. If you have any questions, um, um, give me a, a, a shout here. I'm looking at the Facebook chat. We may open up the phone lines, but I want to, first of all, get back to the story of local. I think Mark is ready to go to that, of the, the Drotos Balsart story and let you know what we know about that. So we've got some uh, important information to share with us. Okay, if we take a break now, Mark, are you okay with that? Perfect. All right. Uh, let's see if we can get our production guys to uh, take us uh, over to our uh, break here. Um, looking to see if we've got one at our desk who can do that. Yes, sir, we've got him. Here we go. Let's take a break for a minute, Evan. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Award Scott Files Gold sponsors are Maurice T. McDaniel, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.awardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352 284. 3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. A warthog. He's gonna come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! There was a rep named Corin Brown. 
She had the biggest mouth around. She thought she was the smartest rep. Well, she started up a non-profit and somehow made money off it and got involved in quite some dirty deals. She's in the jailhouse now. She's in the jailhouse now. That's not the way a charity runs. She won't be having fun. She's in the jailhouse now. I let you. stammer don't put me in the slammer I only did what all the others do I thought my donors were trickable but the judge said that's despicable and then away the key he threw she's in the jailhouse now She's in the jailhouse now. They locked the cell on poor Corinne. This one she'll never win. She's in the jailhouse now. I let you go. Welcome back to the Warthog Command Center here. Professor Ward Scott talking with the chief data investigator instigator. I added the instigator because so many people kind of their knees knock when they hear that uh, we're looking into things. So rightfully so. If they don't have anything to hide, they have nothing to worry about. Right. Um, and we're going to transition over to uh, the, the Rotros Riles versus Bossart uh, SWAT team. Uh, drama right now and of course you all know i think if you tune in the show regularly that I was evicted from watching one ken cornell being deposed and one has to wonder why the lady doth protest too much um so mark let's go over to where we began with this and where we are and what we can say there's some things we still can't say right yes but we do have some new information that we can uh, let the rope out on your show today ward uh I think the easiest way to summarize this is, is chronologically. Um, what started out as a civil case where Mike Riles and Dan Drotus were suing their former real estate broker, where they were self-employed uh, agents themselves. Um, that civil case um, started in 2019 and the dispute was over commissions that were owed or not owed. And so that has worked its way through the system. Um, and following that, there was a criminal complaint filed by the Boss Hearts against uh, Dan, Mike, and then also, unfortunately, uh, Lauren Edwards and Rory Cassell. And so that is a felony case that is still open um, also. That was, um, I believe, in 2021. And then after that, there's the defamation case that Riles and Drotus have filed against uh, Aaron Boss Hart and Boss Hart Realty that is um, raging as we speak. So let's go back to the original case, the civil case, which just had a recent award uh, settlement um, by an appellate, a retired appellant judge arbitrator who said that Mike Rouse and Dan Drotus have prevailed, regardless of what Boss Hart Realty says, and that not only are they due uh, $800,000 or so in commissions plus interest, but also their attorney's fees of $500,000 and there's also a $95,000 price tag on the arbitrator herself. So all that um, is going to be paid for um, by Bossart if and when uh, Judge Kime takes that award and turns it into an actual court order. And that should transpire very quickly, although the Bossart attorneys are now hemming and hawing about trying to find an open date that works for them. So they are, again, kicking the can down the road, um, trying to delay 
the in inevitable, in my opinion. So for Boss Hart to say that uh, uh, both sides can claim victory is absolutely ludicrous when in the very first paragraph of the award, it says that Mike Rouse and Dan Drotus, the plaintiffs, prevailed in that civil case. So that one's all but in the books. The felony case, in my estimation, is hanging by a thread. Uh, the biggest blockbuster that came out recently on that was that the GPD was likely going to drop the case based on not having the funds for the subpoenas that were required uh, from the App Files uh, uh, software company. At some point in time, they offered Boss Hart the um, option of actually paying for those subpoenas. And now the information has come out that those subpoenas were funded by Boss Hart Realty. And that is huge, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I file complaints quite often but I don't normally fund them through law enforcement. And that's what happened in this case. So when that story hits the mainstream media, you're gonna see another domino fall in the inevitable uh, dismissal of these felony charges against uh, Mike Riles and Dan Drotus. And let's, cut, let's just stop for a moment there, if you don't mind, Mark, and let me underscore that for the audience here as the, or the students, as the professor. What you just heard is enormous and I've been sitting on it. I haven't told anybody about it. We've kept it quiet. But basically what happened, you keep wondering about this SWAT team. Uh, the SWAT team was a result of the subpoena. The subpoena was a result of uh, the boss hearts funding their sub the subpoena. Can you follow the logic of that, students? And then the police did another mystery. We're not quite sure. Maybe Mark wants to comment on that, why there was all that heavy reaction. But the Boss Hearts funded the GPD investigation into their adversaries. Have I got that right, Mark? It's, it's nothing short of having your own police force. It, it is, it is mind-numbing. In my 65 years, I've never seen anything even close to that. And so that, that is a huge bit of information right there, to say the least. Now, if we move forward to the defamation case, there's new information on that as well. There is an amended complaint coming out. And in that complaint, there are two new defendants in the defamation case. One of them being Kim Bosshart, an attorney and Aaron Bosshart's wife. The other one being Autumn Doughton, who's an employee at Bosshart Realty, who just happens to be the daughter of a for the former Gainesville Sun publisher, Jim Doughton. So this gets... Uh, it gets curiouser and curiouser as we move forward. Um, another uh, blockbuster bit of information is we are on the cusp of having a lawsuit filed against GPD and all the individuals on the SWAT team. So that is right around the corner as well. And so that, that, that complaint has been drawn up. It's ready to be filed. And I'm sure you'll see that within the next 30 days as well. So that's some new information for your listeners that you got here first at the Ward Scott Files. That's why you should tune in every day and listen to Ward. Well, that's really, really some information that we have heard, suspected, and noted quite a while. Now we're able to release it for you. And that's huge. I, I, I you know, the money, the price tag on that, that we've heard, uh, which we don't have any way of really right this moment, unless Mark has something I'm not aware of. The price tag for that is going to be very high. Is it not, Mark? Yeah, the defamation case um, carries pretty heavy penalty. Um, threshold, you know, for victory is very high. Uh, you know, it remains to be seen if they'll be um, successful in that particular lawsuit. Um, you know, it's it'd probably um, take years to, to work out. But at this point in time, uh, Riles and Drotus have already won the commission's case. So they are um, sitting financially um, in a good position moving forward. And I believe they will, they will be uh, not only have the felony uh, charges drop, but I believe they'll very likely win the defamation case as well. Well, the wisest thing you would think for the state attorney to do would be to drop the felony charges. And if that happens and it, in, in, as if, if it's any wisdom involved, it will happen because it will just burn up more lawyer fees and et cetera. It still nevertheless will be an admission, many people think, of a general kind of 
incompetence in the state attorneys. Why was it ever criminalized in the first place? We keep getting that asked that question repeatedly. Mark, have you got anything else on that? Because I know we get asked that question. How did a civil case mm -hmm. over commission argument mm -hmm. come to the point where the real estate firm Bossart financed with the G paid the cops to have the investigation that led to this fiasco, really? Anything? There, were, there have been multiple assistant state attorneys on the case. That's one thing that, that led to some confusion. Um, the original uh, assistant state attorney, Michael Becker, who's affectionately known around the office as uh, Barney, um, a.k.a. Barney Fife, um, he was, in my opinion, manipulated by the boss sergeant into believing what was and wasn't a trade secret. And so from there, it just escalated. It's been handed off to Omar Hechevaria now, who's just uh, drifting, if you will, just more or less just sitting on his hands. I think they're praying that the, um, the attorneys for um, Dan and Mike will follow a motion for dismissal so that they can claim that, well, you know, we would have won, but, you know, it got dismissed. And I, I, I really don't think they want the egg on the face where they are actually um, dropping the case themselves. Um, the other interesting thing is that there's at least three different detectives that handled the case. So it got handed off multiple times. And I believe every time it got handed off, it got ginned up just a little bit more. And then when it got to the SWAT team, they just went right over the top. And, um, and of course, we're going to have another lawsuit coming out of that soon. I also believe that's the reason Tony Jones was moved from chief of police over to some nonsensical chief operating officer or something over the city of Gainesville. And so I think they've um, already uh, kind of set the table to um, have Lonnie Scott say, well, you know, I wasn't the police chief when all this transpired. So uh, it's going to be an interesting summer, to say the least, Ward. And that's another reason people. I'll check in. My, uh, we'll get him back. I think, Evan, we'll get him back. Hang on, Mark. Well, listen, uh, while we're trying to get uh, Mark back here with us uh, uh, on the sound, I'll sum a, uh, summarize for you. Um, that uh, once again, there's been a lot of information that we've been aware of that we haven't been able to talk about. And um, are you back, Mark? Yes, sir. Yeah, well, you, you went away there for a minute. I'm just summarizing uh, just for so you'll know what I'm doing while we're waiting on you. Um, uh, there's been a lot of information we haven't been able to share, but now that we're, we can let the rope out a little bit more, it, it appears to be, it, I think it's one of the most pressing conversations that I encounter when people see me, uh, they say, hey, Ward, what do you know about the, the SWAT team? And way back when, we went looking for the Matrix. Do you recall that, Mark? Can you comment on that? Yes, sir. We actually got a copy of that Matrix, and it looks like they doubled up on uh, several of the line items in there to get it to the minimum 10 points, which then becomes a judgment call. And so all the way around, they they met the bare minimum. And so it's highly questionable, um, in my opinion, obviously unnecessary for SWAT to do what they did. But now they're going to they're going to pay another penalty. There's going to be another lawsuit, as we discussed earlier, uh, against GPD and the the individuals on on the SWAT team. So they've laid themselves out for liability. And uh, it's a very good attorney. And um, one of the innocent bystanders, and uh, regardless of the outcome, this is going to be a very hot story over the course of this summer. So you need to stay tuned, and we'll keep you posted and updated on it. And when we went looking at that matrix, and just so that you uh, and the audience understand what a matrix is, uh, and we have intel inside, of course, the law enforcement community um, that explained to us that the matrix is um, that which justifies the use of the SWAT, and it has to be a certain cumulative total, and each individual line item has a max on it, like two here and two there and four. And this that must add up to 10, if I recall. Well, we really feel like a couple of those were embellished and fudged, if you will. And that goes back to who paid for the investigation, who swallowed hook, line, and sinker, the idea that the app files, and by the way, app files are those files which are kept in the cloud. And forensic investigation of those app files is expensive. 
That's why GPD did not want to do it because they didn't have the money for it. So that's why Balsart says, well, guess what? Uh, we'll, we'll give you the money to do it and then go do it. At that point, if I'm the, if I'm the liar, I'm going to close in on that moment. What type of failed leadership? Again, and I've talked to some other law enforcement guys about this, and they are appalled. They are dumbfounded. Uh, the people I know in law enforcement, I know a lot of people, a lot of sheriffs, uh, a lot of different, um, um, you know, they're dumbfounded. That, and, and I'm not being, I'm not hyperbolizing this in my market. They're dumbfounded that someone would buy into this and, and, and bring the cavalry. And the app files turned out to be, didn't have any trade secrets, right, Mark? Well, as a real estate agent uh, working for a broker, uh, self-employed, um, it's, it's a head scratcher. And I've, I've seen a lot of the so-called documents and I've read the transcript um, of Jay Parrish um, at the, um, the commission's um, civil case. And uh, it's, it's quite obvious that this was, this was all just a bunch of smoke and mirrors that the boss hurts got uh, Michael Becker to bite into. And then now Kramer's going to have to sort out this mess. And I may have um, lost audio earlier, but I want to reiterate that we believe that the reason Tony Jones has been moved from chief of police over to some phantom position over at the city of Gainesville uh, is likely because they know this lawsuit's coming down the pike and uh, Lonnie Scott's, you know, head of GPD now, so he will be able to deflect this. But, uh, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting summer um, for the Gainesville Police Department and the individuals on that SWAT team if and when this civil suit gets filed. And this harkens all the way back, as far as Mark and I are concerned, to the uh, use of GPD captains and Tony Jones himself to go out to what we're pretty convinced what didn't wasn't properly permitted and that was the rap concert that resulted in uh, violence, uh, not only uh, lyrically in the music, but also in the behavior of some of the people attending it and putting it on even. Uh, we always suspected that that was uh, not properly, did not properly go through the channels, that there was an influence from a particular city commissioner at the time. Uh, if you recall, this took place on the same weekend as the homecoming at university. And so the cops were spread thin, couldn't go out there and protect as they should have. And um, so we've been looking at GPD for quite a while and, and as to whether or not competent, incompetent, partly competent, who's responsible. And of course, Tony Jones keeps coming up as the, uh, the, the lightning rod for this, rightfully or wrongfully. But we do think there's more than meets the eye just to him being all, all of a sudden moved over to, an, a, I guess, just a desk job. I don't know what it could be uh, inside uh, the, the city government of Gainesville, which we know is a totally disarray and uh, doesn't have its finances in order and, you know, is chasing rabbits down rabbit holes, all kinds of things. So am um, I got that right too, Mark? I know we're going to talk quite a bit about that. Your memory's going back a little further than mine. That's that's an excellent um, point. Um, the hookah lounge shooting, um, which was not only attended by uh, police chief at the time, Tony Jones, uh, he also overrode the uh, city codes um, permitting process to allow that concert to take place uh, based on a meeting he had with uh, at the, that time city commissioner, Gigi Simmons. Of course, uh, as things went down, uh, two of the uh, promoters got into an actual gunfight and one of them took three shots. Uh, he survived. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, Jonathan Corey Smith was charged with possession of a gun by a felon, time served, and he is now a, uh, a uh, registered voter in our county, even though he owes, I believe, in excess of uh, $60,000 in uh, defense fees that we paid for. And until he pays for, the, for those uh, investigative fees that we paid for, he is not an eligible voter in the state of Florida, yet he remains active on the voter rolls. It just never ends, Warden. Thank you for bringing that up. I had almost forgotten about that. Oh, it never ends. It never ends. You, you know, it's just um, a 24-7. You wonder these people are paid these big salaries uh, to have these jobs, to be the police chief, to be the supervisor of elections, to be the state attorney. 
um, you know, they go around and make presentations at functions and, and, um, and yet, you know, we trip over this stuff hardly, almost without looking. I mean, this hookah lounge fiasco has been um, an irritant to me for quite a while. Um, the, it, you know, it, it's just troublesome, no end, that a city would allow something like that to happen. And by the way, Mark, you're kind of gentle with the history of Jonathan Corey Smith. That's not his first brush with the law. And the law knew that, did they not, when he went out there and put on yet another concert? Can you bring him? Oh, up I, absolutely. It's all in the deposition. We have Tony Jones's deposition. Um, I also had a meeting with Tony Jones, and I accused him of actually sponsoring that event. And he took umbrage of that. And I'm like, well, you certainly were complicit. You know, you overrode the permitting process to allow it to happen. You were there. You were one of the first people uh, at the scene of the shooting. Um, you're sitting there looking at a guy bleeding out. And meanwhile, the shooter is escaping out the back door. Um, so it, it's just mind numbing to think that the chief of police in the city of Gainesville will condone an outdoor concert the same day as Vanderbilt homecoming game when the entire force is is pushed beyond the limits of, of the thin blue line. Yet he's over there at this rap concert, evidently enjoying himself, uh, watching all the uh, the alcoholic beverage sales out of the trunks of cars and all the traffic and all the, you know, all the, the, um, the, uh, the, the odors of the aroma of, you know, um, marijuana and, and selling of drinks inside the pool hall, all this stuff's going on. We, we got all kinds of intel on that. Meanwhile, he's right there condoning this. And then after the fact, oh, well, you know, this, that, and the other. But the fact is, he was the one responsible for that concert, and he's the one that's responsible for that man getting shot. And at the end of the day, the state attorney, what's he do? Uh, possession of a gun, time served. You know, never mind the fact that he gunned a man down, you know, right there in front of other people with children around as well, by the way. And he had a history. Jonathan Corey Smith was not unknown to the law, right? Absolutely. And it's in Tony Jones's deposition. He made the statement, don't ask me how I know him. OK, I know who he is. Don't ask me how I know him. OK, oh. so, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a look. Everybody knows Jonathan Corey Smith is a, is a concert promoter and he's done time for drug dealing. OK, let's just put it out there. And Tony Jones knows that, too. Yet he's willing to work with these people and create these kinds of public safety issues in our community. And yet nothing ever happens. And it's the same story over and over and over again. We're not sitting still. We're going to double down again, just like we did the time before and the time before that. So we're just going to keep fighting the good fight. Well, We've been talking with our, our chief investigator here, my good friend, Mark Blazer, who uh, has phoned in. We kind of keep him behind the curtain, if you will. And um, we are carrying, doing the Lord's work. I guess that's the way I was always taught to use that phrase. We're doing the work that um, uh, just needs to be done. It's a community service. We share it with you. Um, by, by the way, we feed a lot of this information to the uh, local news outlets and very seldomly is it picked up on. Of course, uh, the, the Channel 20 doesn't have the time to go into the depth of this that we do. And uh, it's really kind of a lid on what, uh, and Mark can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but there's kind of a lid on what the Gainesville Sunset will do, uh, even though they, they get practically always uh, copies of what we've got. Is that right, Mark? Yeah, absolutely, Ward. We, um, we leave no stone unturned. We're equal opportunity information uh, technicians and we'll give anybody the information as, as long as they're um, willing to respond in some way shape or form I mean if they if, they, if there's just a total wall there we're not going to waste our time but we've had you know some success with um, WFT we've had a lot of success with WCJB certainly uh, Jennifer Cabrera Latra Chronicle but no no none more than the Ward Scott files and we do have some contacts as far away as Texas and we do have some contacts in Jacksonville uh, and, and it's and, my, and Mark is uh, uh, well known to these outlets, and of course the Ward Scott files has been written about in the New York Times as well as on Breitbart. So um, we 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 do pretty well with the the, the thin uh, um, uh, operating budget that we have, and <laughs> and uh, uh, you know those of you who support us, we tremendously appreciate you support the guys that support us. I mean, 
uh, go down to Style Cuts and visit my buddy uh, David Ratliff and uh, and um, see how you you know your cotton you know use on the spot clean. I'm just talking to off, you know go out to shoot GTR if you want to be uh, shooting at a range that's safe and well managed. And of course R and R Construction, uh, good friends, been supporting all of us, uh, our show a long time. And and uh, I'm going to leave somebody out, so I'm going to stop at that. But hey, don't be bashful about helping us out. So. Um, Mark, I, I think it's um, always great to for the public to know what uh, you're doing. You can summarize so much better than I can. You've almost got a photographic mind for this stuff. Uh, uh, he, he can rattle it off, can you not, audience? And I, I really appreciate that. Uh, uh, so I don't have anything to add. We're going to close out with an original song here that somebody has provided this and been wanting us to play. And uh, we're going to play it. We don't know if... Uh, uh, somebody a, a ding it because it is, uh, uh, but you know, well, it's not, it doesn't have the, doesn't have the voter beep word in it. So might, we might be okay. Um, Mark, anything for the go to the order before we uh, fade out? I just want uh, your listeners to, to know that uh, they need to, they need to stay tuned because I'm, I'm not teasing you. We, we are definitely going to have some, some uh, blockbuster stories coming out over the, uh, the last week of June and, the, and all the month of July. So you, you're going to want to be here for that. Well, thank you so much, sir. And I'll uh, be talking to you, of course, uh, frequently. And uh, uh, we appreciate uh, those of you who uh, uh, are, are listening and spread the wealth here. You've got a network. You can uh, put out this show and, and share it. It's over on wardscottfiles.com. Right now, we're blocked from YouTube again because YouTube went back and found some word, you know, that they thought violated community standards. But so far, we're back on Facebook. These platforms really try to control the narrative in the country. Uh, we're doing the best we can to work honestly and candidly with you. And this it's just the way it is. Uh, th this is the eye of the needle uh, that one has to go through to do this. So um, we're going to play this last song on the way out. And I'm going to say Warthog Command Center out, but you'll fade out to this song. And uh, thank you so much, Mark. So uh, Thank you, Ward. Have a great uh, weekend. Let's play it, sir. From Miami and a Trump rally Man, he took the crowd by storm Because he's not in office, it's a tragedy Cause Biden's doing so much harm We look like the USSR now We're back in the USSR now Back in the USSR Creepy Joe and his kids are such crooks They leave all justice behind They and all the lefties want you and me To watch our nation decline Back to the USSR now Back to the USSR now Back to the USSR Patriots jailed up in D.C. Can't you hear them scream and moan? The FBI looks like the KGB Our country doesn't anymore seem like home Shortages here, inflation there, your money's halfway gone. Joe and Connie's are pathetic, you see. It's time for all of them to be long gone, long gone. If you want to save our nation, please join me. Tell everyone to sound the alarm. Stand up for a right so you can clearly see This starts with being well informed Let's go look like the USSR now Let's get out of the USSR now Leave the USSR